Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy, but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with, but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my featured guest is Julia Prevalon. She is the founder and executive director of Elevate Her International Ministries with a vision to empower women to heal from trauma. She is a pastor and preacher, counselor, life coach, entrepreneur, and leader. Her professional career in pastoring, counseling, leading, and international ministry spans over 20 years. Now, Julia is currently the associate pastor at Redeemer Evangelical Covenant Church, where she leads mission initiatives and racial justice ministry. And boy, oh boy, do we need that now. She is also a counselor and life coach in private practice. She currently lives in Carrollton, Texas with her husband and best friend and cheerleader. He's her partner in ministry for 21 years now, and they have three amazing young adult sons. Uh, you can find her at juliaprevalon.com. We may need to spell that out. It's Julia, yes. but it's spelled with a D. So it's D-I-E-U-L-A, prevalon.com. You'll find it in the show notes. Just click on the link and, and you can check her out. So Julia, welcome to Broken Catholic. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think the intro is uh, dead on. I, I'm the only part we did not um, put in the bio is that I was born in Haiti, hence the name, which is one of the reasons the name is so hard to pronounce in America, was born in Haiti, grew up in New Jersey. So that's a little bit of my background as well. So just to clarify, you have a Haitian and Jersey accent mixed I together. I do. I do. Oh, God bless <laughs> us all. And now Texan. And now Texan. A little bit. You'll, you'll hear the y'all from Texan. <laughs> Isn't that fun? I live in the South now in Tampa, and uh, a lot of my New York accent has dissipated. Uh, uh, it seems the influence yeah. down here was stronger than New York. So It happens. We assimilate. <laughs> you know, whether we want, it, we want to or not, we end up assimilating. <laughs> I definitely think that's true. So let's start out, um, share something personal about you that very few people in your business life actually know. I, I think for me, you know, um, the who that I am today is birthed out of who I, I've been and where I've been. Um, part of my passion for doing the work that I do is because I grew up in Haiti, is because I grew up as an immigrant here in America, um, because I faced so many challenges 
that now I believe, you know, I am placed in a position where I am able to, um, to help others, um, to hear the stories of others differently because I have been through that. And, and I think part of the reason I am um, a grace-filled minister, um, a grace-filled counselor and coach, you know, when people um, come to me, they experience the ministry of presence, um, partly because of where I've been, you know, um, you know, growing up in Haiti where, um, you know, you've dealt with poverty and challenges as a woman, as a black woman, and you come here in America, you deal with even more challenges. And there were so many things that you were lacking of. And then you go to institutions to get an edu education and then challenges there. So for me, I, I believe my ministry and my calling is to um, utilize all of what I've been through, the good and the bad, the hard and the easy, um, and to embody all of that and, and support those that I, I, I serve today, whether it be in the church, in the counseling office, or um, protesting, or whatever it is that I do, I do it because of, um, of my story, of what I've been through. Mm. I yeah. get that. You know, so many people, I think they're out in ministry and they're uh, serving people that have deep traumas, deep hurts, deep wounds that, ha that go back for years, sometimes 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They haven't been healed yet. And, and these people that are ministering to them, some of them haven't gone through trauma you know, similar to those people they're ministering to. Do you think that's a disservice? In other words, do I need to be have more trauma than my clients in order to properly serve my clients? Yeah, I think yes and no. Um, you know, I was recently reading the book by Richard Rohr, Fall, Falling Upward, where he talked about the first half of life and the second half of life. Um, and his thing is, you know, the best pastors are the pastors that become pastors in the second half of life. Because in the first half of life, you know, you're still trying to figure it out. You know, you're still um, trying to figure out who you are, what you believe in, um, and all of that. And you, um, for, for many people, they haven't gone through many things in the first half of life. By the second, second half of life, you have gone through some stuff, you know, if you're doing life well, you know, if you're doing life well, you would have gone through betrayal, through some kind of traumatic um, um, situation, whether it be um, primary trauma or secondary trauma, you would have gone through somebody cheating um, your goods or disrespecting you or demeaning you. You would have gone through some pain. And I agree with Richard because those things are actually, those challenges um, um, cause us to mature, cause us to listen differently, cause us to, um, to show compassion differently. They cause us to, um, they cause us to approach the, the human spirit and humanity differently. Um, although I don't necessarily think that you have to be a mother to understand um, mothers, or you have to be a father to understand fathers, or you have to go through all kinds of trauma to understand trauma, I do think you have to, something 
um, had to have happened to cause your heart to be broken or to cause your heart to, to, to slow your pace as to how you approach different situations from being judgmental to being understanding from being, um, you know, having all the answers to saying, I don't know, but I, I sit with you, you know, so something had to have happened to create that, that heart of compassion, um, whether it be trauma, whether it be betrayal, I don't know, but something had to have happened there an encounter should have happened. Um, like, you know, mm -hmm. Paul on the Damascus road, there had to have been an encounter to get you to that place. I don't know what you call that encounter. Um, it, it could be trauma, but it could be, it could be just an encounter with, with God, with yourself, with, with something um, to cause you to, to change, to, to move, to change the trajectory of where you are as a child to a mature being. And I believe maturity causes us to approach humanity differently. Yeah. Mm. That's powerful. I like that you use St. Paul, road to Damascus, gets knocked off the horse. And I think yeah. that's what needs to happen in our life. I agree with you. Yeah. We need to get off, knocked off of our horse somewhere in our life or off of our throne because yeah. many of us occur very uh, self-righteous or we occur as our own God in our own universe, running our yeah. own life with our own plans and schemes. Absolutely. And, and that's I, what Richard yeah. Rohr say. I'm sorry, um, Joseph. Um, what he says is that in the first half of life, we're trying to build these empires. You know, we, our focus is education, trying to be successful, trying to win at everything. And then you get to the second half of life, you're like, what have I been doing with my life? You know, so there has to be an encounter that changes your trajectory from building these empires to um, serving and giving it all away, you know, and, and, and supporting others. So let's get right into that. What was your specific encounter where you realized this is the moment, this is the shift this is where I have to give it all up, all these empires I'm building or these thrones I'm building for myself. You got knocked off. What was that encounter? Share with us that story. Yeah, I, I, I've had um, a, a few. The very first was probably the birth of my son. Um, I grew up in a, um, a Haitian context, um, even here in America our community was Haitian, you know, for the survival of the immigrant, you need um, these mono um, ethnic um, communities, you know, these homogenous communities. And so that was our life. And so our church was um, a Baptist Haitian church. Um, and I went off to college. I was probably the first in our um, church to go off to college as a woman because, yeah. <laughs> um, and to go and live in the dorms too, which is something, the immigrant population is frightened of this new world for so many reasons. They're afraid for their children to assimilate, afraid for their children to go too far from um, from our context of fear is just like what's what drives immigrants um, many immigrants I would say I won't say all um, for for me I went off to college and my last semester of, of college I became pregnant and that is a no-no um, in the Haitian community I wasn't married 
Um, my husband and I, we're married now, but we weren't thinking of marriage. Um, and for a woman to be the first to go to college, um, you know, the first to leave, you know, our little Haitian bubble in America, um, their desires for me was for to, to achieve the American dream. To be pregnant out of wedlock without being married, without a plan, without a job, it's not necessarily your perfect idea of the American dream, right? Um, and so I became pregnant and I wanted to have my child. Um, and so um, my husband and I, we had a conversation and we both um, ended up having to tell our parents that we're, we're, we're expecting and we wanna keep this child. That was what, 21? Um, it's probably the first time, the first and probably the only time I saw my father cry. Um, and I think his tears had to do about the broken American dream. You know, we bring these children here to achieve the American dream. And this is, this one became close. She's in college. She was close to, to graduating college and she's pregnant with a child. What is she going to do with a child? Um, that experience in and of itself um, taught me a lot about myself that I've taken with me throughout my life. Um, a, there are some decisions um, that will be very difficult and you will we'll never see how it's going to play out because I didn't know how this was going to play out. I had no job, said nothing um, like that. Um, and, and, and B, um, to be courageous in, in making whatever, however difficult, and, and I'm in a place right now, I'm a therapist, I see women all the time dealing with pregnancy and their choice is their choice. It's not mine for me to make for them, but I sit with them um, and I, I love them and I support them and I let them cry it out and, um, and I'm this, you know, presence for them to just encourage them in whatever decision they make. But um, for me, um, my decision to have my son was probably the most courageous um, act that I, that, 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 that created the trajectory for me to make other courageous decisions, right, in my life. And, and it required me to face my community my community were pretty hard on me. Uh, you know, they were very hard on me. Um, I was basically excommunicated from the church for, um, for, for a while. I couldn't take communion until after my son was born. Um, you know, when my husband and I decided to get married, they married us in the basement of the church, not in the church itself. Um, and so uh, lots of humiliation, and we knew it going in that making this decision would be like literally the death of me. But it, it was by far the best decision I have ever made in my entire life. Our son is 20, 22 now. Um, he's almost done with college. And um, every time I look at him, I'm reminded um, of, um, of sacrificial love, A, um, and just the tenacity and the to be courageous, to dare to choose um, different from what my community said I'm supposed to choose. So I dared to choose. I dared to be courageous in the midst of, um, of all of the challenges. And I chose something that's changed and his birth changed 
my entire life. I think th that's why we're having this conversation right now I, I, because of his birth. So that was the first for me. That was my first Damascus where I met Jesus. I, I met Jesus back in my face. And let's he changed go my there. Life. Let's go there for a moment. During all that humiliation from your own community based on one decision you made that did not meet their expectations. And then you made another decision to do the right thing in the consequence of that, that, that original decision and have that baby and bring that child to life. God bless you and your, your husband. During all the humiliation, I know what that's like. I know what that feels like personally. Um, where was God showing up for you in your life? Where was he becoming present? Where were you uh, cooperating with him? Yeah. Tell yeah. us about that. That's a good question. Um, you know, at first, I felt like I needed to be punished, um, you know, because my context and my community was telling me that God is nowhere near you know, because I did the wrong thing, you know. Um, and it took me some time to realize that that's not true. God is so ever-present in my life. And I think that's what gave me the courage to continue to, to take steps because I felt the presence of God. I felt the presence of God um, in one of my college friends when I told her that I was present, I was pregnant and I was contemplating whether to have the baby or not. Um, and I knew God um, it, it showed himself strong through her because the conversation she had with me solidified that I needed to have this baby. You know, um, she encouraged me and Vanessa is her name and she's passed with cancer. Um, several years ago, but I knew that she was God-breathed. I knew she was God-breathed. And this woman, you know, she wasn't like a churchgoer um, or anything like that. She was just an average woman, you know, um, a college friend. And she spoke life to me. And I knew it was God. I just knew because, um, you know, college friends at that point, they're not mature enough to give life-giving, you know, advice to the point of creating life. Um, but she gave me advice that I knew it was God because she told me, you can have this child. And she saw that I wanted to have that ch my child. And I was scared to death um, of facing my community. But she said, you can do it. Um, her um, when my sister, my young, older sister saw I was in so much pain, she, um, she also spoke life into me. She said, what do you want? And people don't ask Black women what they want to do. They don't ask us questions. They make decisions for us. And so for, for her to ask, how can I help? What do you want to do? Um, that gave me life. And there were a couple from our community that showed up. Um, and they were just present. They brought gifts. They brought a card. They brought conversation. And it, they brought grace, you know. And I knew it was God. And so their presence, their, them speaking life into me, I, I knew God was with me. I'm writing um, a book of, on trauma in the story of Hagar. Um, 
you know, uh, in, in this whole scenario that we're talking about now, of course, it's in the book because this was my Damascus road turning around and meeting Jesus. And, and just reflecting on that and reflecting of the fingerprints of God throughout that journey to leading me to this very moment now has been just amazing to just reflect on, on where God has been, especially when your community says no and your community reject you and shame you and to see God saying, yes, I'm for you. I'm for this child that you are carrying um, I, I'm breathing this child to life. And so it's, um, so it's, it's been, um, the thing that I believe that's led me into, um, to these positions that I've carried as a pastor, as a counselor, as a coach, helping other women and supporting other women through their seasons. Mm. A few, uh, thoughts came up as you're speaking that. And the first thought was that lie that was being spoken to you during that time in your life that because you made that decision, right? You got pregnant, right? You made that yeah. choice as a young girl and now you have the consequences. Uh, the lie was that uh, because you've sinned, I'm putting my own language to it, but oh, because, yeah. because you've sinned, you are now... Uh, far away from God and God has removed himself from you. And, and I clearly have learned in my life that that is a lie from the enemy. Yes. And what is true that you recognize, and I'll just put some language to it. God draws closer to the sinner than he does to the saint. Absolutely. God draws closer to the sinner than he does to the saint. And there's so many accounts in the Bible where Jesus speaks about the self-righteous man versus the guy who is on his knees yeah. begging for God's mercy because he's such a screw up. Mm -hmm. And God feels closest to that person because right. their heart is pure. They know they need him and that they're not him. Right. And right. then the second point in your story, when we're rejected and shamed by others is when we are closest to Jesus. Yeah. Because he was rejected and shamed for us. Absolutely. And we're actually unified in his suffering at that moment. Yeah. Speak to one or both of those points, would you? Yeah. Um, God draws close to the sinner. Um, I, 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 I believe it. I've experienced it. Um, and, um, and I think in, in those moments where I was so broken and I was told that God wasn't near, there was almost like a fight, you know, for God to be present. You, you know, it, it felt like God was fighting to speak a different message, you know, mm. like my community was speaking this message, but God was fighting to speak this other message saying that I'm near, I'm present. Um, this is the moment. This is the point of your life. I will do my greatest work in you. So I don't want these people out here to mess it up. Okay. And I felt like God was so protective 
over that point of my life, you know, so very protective. I mean, to the point where I believe God uprooted me from that community and led me to Texas. Okay. <laughs> That's how protective he was. Cause he's like this one here, this point here in her life, I will use it and have the greatest good on humanity if I can protect her and nurture her from the harm that this community could do to her right now. And so God was so present, um, so nurturing, so comforting, so encouraging. Um, and even after I had my son, it wasn't shame I felt, I felt gratitude. It was just like, why would God choose me? I always reflect on the story of Mary as a young teenager, pregnant, um, you know, without being married. I'm like, I don't know if people reading the Bible know how earth shattering that is for a teenage woman to be pregnant without being married. And, and so in, always, in the Jewish community, which in is in the Jewish like, community. Yeah, that's like stone her to death consequences. Yes. I mean, I watched the show Orthodox on Netflix mm. to, to see how rigid, you know, a community similar um, could be to a young woman who dared to um, have a voice and say, yes, Lord, do to me whatever you will, you know? I mean, I don't think people realize how, even in today in 2020, how difficult it is for a woman to bring life um, um, to earth. So I believe God is near. God is near to the brokenhearted and poor in spirit. Um, God is always near. I believe that where you will find God at um, in power and in, in, in his um, most powerful form is with those that are in desperate need, those that are crying out, the marginalized, those that, um, you know, people have rejected and people have, you know, demeaned and people have overlooked. I think that's where we will see God, which is why my ministry is around people who are, who are in need, who are marginalized, because I want to be near where God is. And where God is, is with um, those that are desperately seeking and desperately needing him, you know, even if they don't realize that they need him, um, God shows up. Julia, if one of my listeners right now is being touched by God in their heart right now, feeling compelled saying, man, I want to serve those who are marginalized, those who are outcast." Where do they find them specifically? Like, what does that even look like? Do you go out in, on the street and just say hi to a homeless person? Like, what did you do to get started if someone wants to get started and God's striking their heart right now? Um, I would say move, <laughs> you know, move to where the hurt is. Um, and the hurt is everywhere around us. The pain is everywhere. Um, it's locally, it's nationally, it's internationally. Um, you know, for me, when I moved to Texas, I started in doing prison work with women, just prison ministry, and it's free to go there. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if your heart is, is, is meaning well, 
um, you know, I started in, in prison ministry. I started just sitting with women once a week and started sharing my story. My first lesson to the women was her story, my story, our story, because we're interconnected in our stories of pain and suffering. Um, so I would say, yeah, don't wait for the, for the marginalized to come to you. Go to them especially if you're in a position of privilege, you know, you have money, you have a place to live, you, um, the more money we have, the more um, our fences will go up. So the, the marginalized won't find us, you know, we have to go to them because we have, um, we have privilege. Um, and I would say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to um, engage the marginalized. Um, I think we will hear uh, a lot of myths about marginalized communities, whether it be immigrants, people in prison, um, um, you know, people who are living on the margins of life, that they are um, rapists and they're this and they're that, they will steal from you, they will ruin you. And that, those are all myths. The kindest and most gentle people I met were in prison, hmm. you know? the the um most sensitive people i met were in prison they were in jail behind bars and so i would say don't listen to the myths telling us to protect ourselves protect our children um that's the myth of of fear you know that keeps us away from doing the work of serving others um i would say um continue to move towards and and push through the fears push through the fears. Don't let fear hold you back from serving. Um, and, and one of my, you know, I love women like, um, you know, Harriet Tubman, um, Mother Teresa, um, you know, all of these freedom writers, women who, who push through fears. I'm sure they were afraid. I, we've read Mother Teresa's writings of how she felt the presence of God wasn't with her. She pushed through. Harriet Tubman, I mean, she she gave her life. She could have possibly be killed. So there is a position you get with God where it becomes less about protecting your resources, protecting your children, protecting your goods, and just dying to all of that and serving others. Like like you, it, it like Richard Rohr was saying, the second half of life is no longer about creating these, these high walls and be, these buildings and becoming su successful. You realize that success means serving others and just giving to others and being present mm -hmm. with others and being present with God. Um, I remember yeah. my, my friend prayed a prayer um, when he finally gave the second half of his life to God. And it was simply, God, I've spent my whole life serving myself, glorifying mm -hmm. myself. I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving and glorifying you. Mm -hmm. And that's that first chapter, you know, second chapter of your life yep. right there, that moment. Right. So thank you for sharing that story. Really powerful uh, BC Nation um, three quick spiritual insights from Julia is number one, move to where the hurt is. Number two, don't be afraid to engage those who are hurting. Don't buy into the fear myths. And number three, don't let fear hold you back from serving. 
like give it to God. Trust he is your father. He will protect you when you serve those who are least fortunate. You serve him, as Jesus says. So uh, we're speaking with Julia Prevalon. You can find her at JuliaPrevalon.com. Julia, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. This is where I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. All right, here we go. What is your favorite thing about God? His love. What is your least favorite thing about God? Silence. (laughs) His love. That is powerful. I agree. What are you most afraid of? Dying without accomplishing my passions. Got it. And I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. What are you struggling with right now, either professionally or personally, that you could share with BC Nation? Fear of not being living close to my family. Mm, Got that. Mm What did you spend way too much time doing in your 20s? Partying. Uh. <laughs> ah. What secret fear do you have about people? Uh, that they want too much from me and I can't deliver. Mm. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? Um, to be still. It's in the stillness he talks. I agree with that. What's a new habit you want to create? Um, Silence to listen to God. (laughs) Exactly. And what's a bad habit you want to break? Um, Over talking. Got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Three words. Um, Caring, loving, um, tenacious. Yeah. Pick three words to describe who you were before. You experienced God in your life and surrendered the second part of your life to him. Mm, selfish, self, self-absorbed, <laughs> um, sensitive. Yeah, too sensitive. <laughs> like overly sensitive, I get that. Yes. And, and last question, if you could come back to life, look your family and friends, your husband, your three sons in the eye, and give them only one piece of advice about everything, God, life, eternity, all of it. What would you say to them? Don't hold nothing back. (laughs) Don't hold nothing back. Yeah. That's a good way to die and leave this world, right? Empty. That's right. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about having that relationship with God and giving him the second half of their life versus not? Don't overthink it. You know, let God, uh, let God be, let him speak to you in the, silence and the stillness of life in those little areas that um of your heart that you you don't want to confess to god let him let him in those little places and that's where you will do your greatest work with god in those quiet dark silence places in your life Mm, powerful and what's the best way for uh bc nation to get in touch with you if they so choose on my website, eulaprevalon.com. You can find me there. You'll find my emails and ways to contact me. Fantastic. Eula, uh, thank you so much for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace.
peace and joy in your life, my dear. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Cheers. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business. If you want the business side of that conversation, I have another podcast called First 100K, where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000, because that's where I believe 90% of you are stuck and you can't break through. Go to first100k.com to find out how. I'm Joseph Warren. You were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you right back here next week.